Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Um, it is super, it's crazy when you're not with your church family for a little bit of time and then you get back and you realize what you missed. And so it is a super um, it's so restorative to be with you guys all. But I want to take some time just to thank you guys who came and stepped up over the last three weeks because it's both, it was Trip, Teva, myself, and a lot of other leaders that went there. So there were a lot of gaps that were left. And I know many of you guys for the last three weeks have stepped up and held down the fort. So I want to just say thank you guys for just doing that, um, answering that call. And there would be many times where we would be on the tour bus or in a worship night, and we would just start to praise God for all that he was doing in each and every one of you guys. So you guys were thought of much when we were there. Um, when we left on the trip, uh, trip was like, hey, dude, God's going to meet you there. You need to make sure that you're just open to see what he wants you to share, what stirs you up, uh, because when we get back, you're going to preach. And so um, it was pretty radical. The moment we got there, the very first session, I just got this sense that I think I needed to share about how we as mankind, we can miss the Messiah in the midst of all that we see and all that we do. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, how we can do a lot of different churchy things, maybe fill our calendar with good things and good deeds and honorable things and completely miss Jesus in the midst of it all. And so this morning, we're going to look at what God's word says about that and allow his spirit to illuminate the various ways that we might be falling prey to that right now. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the very back. We have some there for you to borrow. You can grab it. So John chapter 6. I think the internet's actually better now in this school, so you could possibly use your Bible app maybe. So we have no excuse this morning, yeah? And in our text, we're going to see how people that were in the midst of Jesus, the religious leaders, and even his disciples missed the Messiah. So while you guys are doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you for your grace and your patience. I'm reminded that love is patient. You have been so patient with us. And we pray, God, that this morning you would continue to extend that grace for us to receive from you um, and then also for you to speak through me, a broken vessel, to share a perfect truth. God, would you have mercy on me this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, John chapter 5 and John chapter 6 are pretty radical things, man. Some of the backdrop there is, is Jesus, as you've seen many times in the Gospels, he gets into it with some of the religious leaders, right? He's in Jerusalem. He heals a man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are like, what are you doing doing work on the Sabbath, right? He heals a man. And, uh, and so they question him, and then in that back and forth, Jesus claims equality with the Father. Well, we know how that goes. That doesn't go well with the religious elite, right? Um, Jesus actually tells the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, John the Baptist and the Father and all of Scripture testify of me. Jesus is saying this to them. It's like a point-blank stuff. And he says, it testifies about me, and you guys don't get it. And so obviously, these guys who are in charge, right, they didn't receive this, and so they plot to kill Jesus. So Jesus leaves the city. He leaves Jerusalem, and he goes to the countryside, right? He heads out to the Sea of Galilee into a town called Tiberias. And, and in this town, he, he does some miracles, right? 
uh, the miracle that we see in John chapter five, uh, 6, I believe. It says he, he fed uh, the feeding of 5,000, which effectively was about 10,000 people were fed with just five barley loaves and two small fish, right? He also walked on water in this stretch of coastland, and he also calmed the storm when the, the, the disciples were on this boat and they were freaking out. And he also came to this stretch to teach people. He wanted to teach the people who were, miracul- who were just miraculously fed by him with these loaves, and they followed him up the lake from Tiberias to a town called Capernaum. And that's where we pick up here in John chapter 6, verse 26. So Jesus answered them. He's talking to people that are in front of him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do? so that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Verse 30, So they said to Him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, and they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread, right? And so Jesus is telling the people who followed him to Capernaum, he's saying, man, you only followed me, you're only sitting at my feet right now because you got a free meal. You got your needs met right at that moment. You're only here because you're seeking the temporal. You're seeking physical food. You're only looking for what you can get from me in the here and now. And what Jesus is doing is he's calling them out and he's calling them up to a higher place. He's saying, hey, I can handle that, but also seek the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 27 in our text, right? He's saying, don't seek or just settle for the temporal or the earthly things, the physical bread. Don't stop there. That's important, but don't stop there. But seek the heavenly, the eternal food. Seek me, he says. Seek Jesus himself. And in verse 29, it is clear that the people are missing it. They ask, what can we do? Jesus, what can we do so that we can work the works of God, right? They're saying like, what can we do? We want to validate ourselves. We want to do something. We want to justify ourselves through our own works. And essentially, that's what every man-made religion in this world tries to do, right? They try to reach God on their own terms, by their own works, and in their own strength. Mankind's been doing it from the very beginning. But the God of this universe, the creator of all things, the Bible calls our God holy, holy, holy. God is set apart. He is other. That chasm that separated us from our heavenly Father because of our sin, that cannot be bridged by just doing better. That cannot be bridged by doing something with your own strength and with your own efforts. And the thing about it is, is the people, they were stuck in this earthly way of seeing Jesus. 
you know, they, they've heard about the Messiah. They, they, they learned about there was this coming Savior, and he was to be greater than Moses. And so they were looking for a sign that was greater than the sign that Moses gave their ancestors, right? They were telling, they were telling Jesus, like, man, our ancestors, the early, the early Jews that were taken out of Israel, man, they, they were given bread from heaven to eat from Moses. They, they were given manna. And maybe there was a part of them that knows about what happened. For 40 years, the, the Israelites were, were sustained with this manna that came from heaven for 40 years. And maybe some of them saw this one-time feeding of the 5,000 as like a lesser sign, like a lesser thing. They maybe they, they expected someone who's greater than Moses was to do something greater than Moses. They were missing it. First thing that they missed is they... It wasn't Moses that was giving the wandering Israelites the manna. It was God the Father who provided it. And second thing that they missed was that, 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 given, that giving of, of, of manna from heaven, that was only a signpost. That was a picture or a foreshadowing of this moment that was right in front of them. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. They missed it. Jesus, the bread of life, was right there in front of them, and they were missing it. And their response was they wanted to do something to validate, validate themselves in God's sight. And Jesus is saying, man, the only thing you have to do is believe in me. Believe in me. Have faith. And that's true of us this morning, right? This is the work of God for us, to believe in him who was sent by the Father, Jesus Christ. The people in Jesus' myths, they were looking for something else. And Jesus later says in verse 35 of our text, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They saw Jesus. They witnessed many miracles. They were fed by him miraculously. They didn't believe. Capernaum was this place on the Galilee that Jesus chose as his like ministry headquarters. You know what I mean? He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. That was to fulfill the scriptures. But he did a lot of ministry in Capernaum in order to reach this wide and diverse group of people. And he wanted to get the gospel out, the news about what Jesus was doing, that the kingdom of God was near. He wanted to get that out to the masses. And that was going to happen best in Capernaum because of its proximity to the Via Marius. That was like the, the main highway of that day. And because Capernaum was Jesus' like, earthly ministry headquarters, the people who lived there saw a lot. They saw a lot. They, see, they saw Jesus heal a nobleman's son in John chapter 4. They saw Jesus like cast a demon out of somebody in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. They saw Jesus heal a man that was lowered down by his friends through the roof, and he saw that in Mark chapter 2. They saw Jesus heal a centurion's servant that was described in both Mark chapter 8, I'm um, sorry, Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7. And then here, in John chapter 6, they, they actually heard this, this discourse that we're studying this morning. But in spite of all that they had seen and all that they had heard, they missed it and they didn't believe, right? And Jesus tells the people of Capernaum in Matthew chapter 11, this will be on your screen. Jesus says, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. 
Verse 24, nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Man, Jesus cursed Capernaum because of its disbelief. And Tripp took us to Capernaum. Like, that's a real place that's on earth. You know what I mean? It's on the Sea of Galilee. And you know what? Capernaum is desolate. It's in ruins. It lies in ruins. And they are known by the Bible world as this unrepentant town that Jesus cursed because they didn't believe. And the question I have for us this morning is, are there ways that God is moving in our midst and we're not recognizing it? Are we missing, like he's doing miraculous stuff and we're not seeing it because we're expecting it to look a certain way? God is doing some eternal stuff all around us. Are we looking for like an earthly or a temporal sign from God to be, con- to be convinced? Another group of people in our text that missed the Messiah were the religious leaders, and, and we continue to read in our text, uh, verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? I would be kind of confused. Jesus was, he was regarded as the stumbling block of the Jews, right? They were stumbling over this claim that Jesus had made about coming down out of heaven. How can that be? They, they knew where he came from on an earthly level, right? They knew that he was the son of Joseph and Mary. They knew Joseph and Mary. How, how could he say that I came down from heaven? And Jesus, knowing that they were grumbling, he addressed them by making the connection of himself and the Father. And they always, always rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way. You know, he's saying like, hey, only the people who really know the Father are brought to me. So like, hey, if you really know God the Father, you're going to come to me. If you don't come to me, and if you're not taught by me, and you don't see me rightly, you don't know the Father, what he's saying. He's also saying, worse yet, he doesn't know you. The Father doesn't know you. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is saying this, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that, no, so that one may eat of it and not die. How would that feel when you're sitting there? Not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is right here making very, very clear that the manna that fell from the heavens in Moses' time was simply just a foreshadow of the time that was happening right there. He's saying like that, that manna that your ancestors ate in the wilderness, hey, they ate that and they eventually died. Okay? That was a miracle for sure. But they ate that and they died. In fact, they died in rebellion and they died in disbelief, right? Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that that generation didn't enter into God's rest. Not a good tradition. And that whole event, those miracles of manna coming down every single morning, was really just pointing to a better bread from heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, all of this points to me and it's happening right now in front of you. And if you believe in me, the one whom the Father sent, you will live forever. 
Jesus is communicating this too. He's communicating that he's going to willingly sacrifice himself for the atonement of our sins. That's what verse 51 says. And this was hard, man. I think it would be hard for me to believe in that time. Like having this this idea of what the Messiah is going to look like, it was hard. It was hard for them to receive this. How can the Messiah, who's supposed to rule and reign and deliver us from bondage, this, this, this Messiah that's supposed to do all of this, how is he going to do that and give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink? That doesn't make sense on an earthly level. So Jesus says this in verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I would have been spinning like crazy if I was in front of Jesus that night, that day. So the crowd was getting caught up in this earthly explanation of what Jesus was saying. But what he was really referring to was that he was offering his life to us. When he's saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's saying like, partake of me. I'm offering myself to you. And if you believed in him and what he's about to do, he was about to willingly die for our sins. He's saying, you won't perish like the Jewish forefathers did in the wilderness. You will enter that rest. And the Jews in the crowd, they missed this. And we miss that today. We miss it here this morning. Like maybe from a street level view. Maybe some of us in here, we're just kind of testing the waters. Maybe we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ's Christ's sacrificial death and payment for our sins. Are we missing it? Maybe you're here this morning and maybe in your estimation you're a pretty good person. You know? Maybe you're not super convinced you need to be saved. Are we missing it this morning? Or maybe you're here this morning and you follow Jesus Christ. You are saved. You have accepted his payment for your sins. But maybe you're missing this upside-down nature of his kingdom, this sacrificial nature that our king has. Guys, our king gave his life so that we can gain our life. We were dead in our sins, and our king laid down his life so we could be made alive. He even says in other parts of Scripture, he says, to be first in heaven, you must be willing to be servant of all. Are we missing that part of God's kingdom? Because, guys, even the disciples missed this, right? Verse 60 in our text continues. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to him, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. So whether the disciples were struggling with the gruesome idea of eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood, or whether they were struggling with the idea that this whole following Jesus thing was going to cost, whatever it was, they missed it. They missed it. These disciples were coming face to face with their expectations of the Messiah not being met, right? Jesus was not here to overthrow Rome and its rulers. He was here to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and its ruler, Satan. That was what he was here for. Jesus was not here to set those guys free from Roman bondage, but he was here to set them free from a much deeper bondage that they had, this bondage to sin, 
And Jesus wasn't there to give them position in an earthly kingdom. But he was here to give them eternal life in his never-ending kingdom. So Jesus, knowing that the disciples were wrestling with this, he asked them, like, hey, does this cause you to trouble? You guys tripping on this? You're tripping on this, believing that I came down from heaven from the Father and through me you can live. If you're struggling with that, how are you going to handle seeing me get arrested? How are you going to handle seeing me get tortured, spat on, and then eventually murdered? How are you going to handle that? Because this was what the road to glory, this ascension to heaven, that's what was ahead for them, right? This road that Jesus was on, it was going to cost. He knew that. It was going to cost Jesus his life to atone for our sins. And it was going to eventually cost the disciples their lives, right? As we know church tradition, all of the disciples basically died as martyrs with the exception of John. The majority of the disciples that day thought, whoa, this is heavy. This is heavy. Who can accept this? Who can accept this? They missed it. Because what Jesus was wanting to bring to them was true food and true life and true freedom. How are we missing that today? I have to ask this myself all the time. How am I missing this? Are we thinking that Jesus came to give us a better life here on earth today in the here and now just to make our circumstances a little bit better so we can cruise up and down the North Shore living life like hashtag lucky live Hawaii? Like that's not why he came. Like if, you, like, if you were like me, and your life was in shambles before Jesus, for sure, redemption is going to bring about, like, wisdom and making better choices, and, like, some things are going to get better, no doubt, but that's not where it stops. That is not the end goal. Jesus came for such a, something much more than that, and he has much more than that in store for you. So my encouragement to us is let's not get ripped off. Let's not get ripped off on the temporal Guys, Jesus is not some feather-in-the-hat type of addition to your life. He's not some improvement to your spiritual portfolio that you can just add to the other cool things that you've got going on. That's not what Jesus is here for. He came as Messiah. He came as Messiah because we needed to be saved. Scripture calls Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about that word for a moment, Lord. Lord means he calls the shots. There are a lot of lords in this world, but there is one Lord over all lords. Jesus calls all the shots. Let that sink in for us this morning. And don't miss the fact that this king came to turn your kingdom and my kingdom of one upside down so that we could all be set free for eternity. Nothing on earth will ever compare to that, friends. And let's not miss this as some of the disciples did. Because in verse 66 of our text, it says this, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That's so gnarly. They saw Jesus. They saw him do all these radical things. They lived with him. And when Jesus says, yo, this is going to cost, they walked away. That is super heartbreaking. Nothing breaks my heart more than this as a follower of Jesus. Somebody, seeing somebody who is tasted and seen, and then when they realize the cost of discipleship, they walk away. 
And if that breaks my heart, like a mere human being who sins, I can only imagine how that breaks our Father's heart. They miss the Messiah. That's not the end of the story, right? Not everybody missed him. Not everybody missed him. That is not the, the whole of Scripture either. Even just in our text this morning, no less than four times does it speak of the Father as the one who is drawing people to Jesus, right? Jesus says that, man, my Father is the one that's drawing you to me. It's this action of God who choosing those who belong to Him, God intervening, God taking action, and He's breaking through our rebellious pattern of life. Why? Because He loves you. He loves me. That's what motivates God. He wants to break through. We will not miss the Messiah if we rely on His faithfulness to intervene. And we see that in a few instances in Scripture, right? We're going to actually look at a few of those instances in the New Testament of people who didn't miss the Messiah. So right now we're in John chapter 6. Keep your finger there and turn your Bibles a few chapters to the left to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It's kind of neat because last Sunday, this is what Brandon sort of led into in his teaching. John chapter 3 with verse 1. We're going to study about a man named Nicodemus. Okay? You guys got it? Good? The app people are like, oh yeah, I got it, it's fast. All right, so now there was a man of the Pharisees, right? So this guy's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. So he wasn't just a Pharisee, he was like in charge kind of Pharisee guy, right? And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. Isn't that rad? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an interesting account that we have here, right? We have a man who was a member of the religious elite of Israel, right? He was a part of a group. Here's the crazy thing. He was part of the group that was actually plotting to kill Jesus. He was part of the enemy in a way, you know what I mean? He was there. He was part. He, he was rolling with guys who were like, when they were off to the side, they were probably like, okay, how are we going to kill this guy? Because he's like threatening our rule. But we can see that regardless of his affiliation, we can see God had intervened in Nicodemus' life and was like drawing Nicodemus to himself. Isn't that cool? When did it say that Nicodemus came to Jesus? When did it say? You guys remember in Scripture? It came to him in the the night. Why? Yeah, He's just like sneaky. He's like, man, I'm part of this team and these guys hate Jesus, but there's something that's drawing me to Jesus. I got to go. I'm going to go at night right? And we see here, this is a man who was learned in the scriptures. He saw Jesus, but he didn't quite understand him totally, right? But he was humble enough. He was humble enough, and he submitted to what Jesus was saying in spite of not fully understanding. Because in that text in John chapter 3, from verses 4 to 15, there's this exchange between Nicodemus and Jesus about like, how can a man be born again? This is crazy. I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. How is that? So there's like this misunderstanding. He was still at that earthly level, but he was humble. He was humble, and he continued to respond to God. He stuck it out. And it was quite the opposite of what the Jews and some of the disciples that we read in our text this morning in John chapter 6, right? The Jews didn't understand how Jesus could come down from heaven and, because they knew who his earthly parents were. They didn't understand what Jesus meant about like being this Messiah and being a king, but at the same time giving his flesh for us to eat and his blood to drink. How, how, do they, how does that work? So in response, 
The people in John chapter 6, they grumbled and they rejected Jesus and they missed him as the Messiah. Nicodemus is on the other side, right? Nicodemus is clearly struggling with the idea of being born again, yet he was humble enough that he's continued to respond to God. God was on mission to save Nicodemus and he continued to draw him to Jesus. Because if you read later in John chapter 19, if you guys are note takers, read that. John chapter 19, we see that it was Nicodemus accompanied with Joseph of Arimathea. And they were the ones who, when Jesus was crucified, they said, hey, could we have Jesus' body? And they took it down from the cross and they prepared it for burial. It was Nicodemus. He was there at the end. He got it. He didn't miss the Messiah. Didn't fully get it, but in the end, he was there. He just kept humbly responding to God. And friends, that's all we're called to do. Man, some of you guys know so much more of the Bible than I do. Man, that's great. Continue to respond to God. Some of you guys like me, maybe the Bible doesn't make a lot of sense all the time. That's fine. Continue to respond to God. Humble yourself and continue to respond to God. That's what we're called to do. Let's continue to take a look at Scripture to see other examples of people who didn't miss the Messiah. So now let's turn to Luke chapter 2. We've got a motor here. Um, as a backdrop, like what happened here, Jesus was just born, and according to the law, like you were supposed to take your firstborn son on his eighth day that he was there, you take him to the temple, you present him, he's circumcised, all of that. And at the same time, the mom is to give a purification offering, right, to make her uh, holy again, right? And so Joseph and Mary were in Jerusalem here in, chapter, in Luke chapter 2 to do just that. They wanted to present Jesus in the temple, and then Mary was going to give her purification offering. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 25. We're going to read about a man named Simeon, Okay. Verse 25, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love that. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, physical death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Man, that's a crazy promise. <laughs> Verse 27, he came at, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, meaning Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he, Simeon, took Jesus into his arms, blessed God, and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Can you imagine? Simeon was like given this promise, and he rolls out to the, to the, to the temple, and he sees exactly what he was promised to see, and he just grabs the baby, and he's like, Oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. Verse 31, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. As a parent, I would be freaking out if some guy just, that's radical. What a sweet account though, right? You have this man, Simeon, who was walking in righteousness. He revered God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Man, that's always good, right? That's a good thing. May that be said of all of us when we're, when we're done. Spirit, Holy Spirit was upon us. And God in His grace revealed to Simeon that Simeon would not die a physical death until he had seen the Messiah. Isn't that neat? That can happen today still, guys. Like, the Spirit wants to reveal crazy things like that. And that's what happens. When you're living in the Spirit like Simeon was, filled with the Spirit, radical things, God will reveal that to you. 
Following Jesus is never boring. And the New Living Translation says that Simeon was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Man, that's crazy. Like, you could look at my life and say, Paulo's eagerly awaiting, and it might not be those things. It might be eagerly awaiting some other earthly, like, fun things, good things, not bad things. But man, it is said of Simeon that he was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah and the, to come and rescue Israel. Man, that's radical. He was totally heavenly-minded. He was thinking about eternity. He didn't have an earthly point of view. And if you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit's going to lead you into that. It's going to lead you in not being consumed by the temporal things of this life, like famine and disease and all that stuff. The Spirit will always let us, it will remind us, He will always remind us that everything is always going to point to a better reality in Jesus Christ. And this same spirit, he leads Simeon to the temple on the very day that Joseph and Mary went to the temple to present Jesus according to the law. To me, that's radical. I I can geek out on that for hours. It's like, man, that's crazy. Simeon, walking in righteousness, revering God, filled with the Holy Spirit, he didn't miss the Messiah. And here's the thing. He wasn't the only one in this instant. There was stuff happening. We continue reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. It says, there was a prophetess a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in her years and lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, uh, and verse 37, and then a widow at the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when all this was taking place, you you have Joseph and Mary, they got Jesus, baby Jesus, right? And then you have Simeon, he's like, oh my gosh, and he's holding and he's prophesying and all that. And then so you have this prophetess who's like, 84-year-old lady, she's like, oh, what's happening? Hey, I know this. And she goes over there. And what happens? You know, it's kind of crazy. It's not like she came from like the most promising situations, right? She had gotten married, and in the seventh year of her marriage, tragically, her husband passes away. That's pretty heavy. What does she do? Does she go away and just start getting all bitter at God for like her lot in life? No, it actually says she commits herself wholly to the Lord's service, right? Our text says that she never left the temple. She was serving night and day. She was fasting and she was praying. Man, that's a wonderful response to tragedy. I want to be like that. The Bible calls her a prophetess, right? Meaning that God would reveal things that might have been hidden to other people, reveals it to one that he has given that gift to, either through visions or dreams or inspirations. I could just picture Anna like in this busy temple and there's people going there to like engage with God, right? Because the temple was like the, the manifestation of God's presence, right? And so people are coming there to be with God and you have this prophetess just like encouraging and edifying people and speaking words of prophecy over them. And now I would totally receive from a modern day Anna right now. You know what I mean? Coming here and some like lady just says, oh, Paulo. You know, that was like, even if it was a rebuke, I would receive it. She was committed. She was always serving. And, pa- and, and God probably revealed something similar to her that he revealed to Simeon. He's like, man, I'm coming and I'm sending my son. The salvation of Israel is coming. And so when she heard what Simeon was saying, she's like, uh-oh, this is rad. I, I know about this. And the NLT puts that whole uh, account this way, verse 38. It'll be on your screen. She, Anna, 
came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to to rescue Jerusalem. She was eagerly awaiting and expecting of the Messiah, and she knew the other people who were eagerly and awaiting, uh, expecting the Messiah. So for us this morning, if we're like humble and we're eager in awaiting Jesus' return, primary of all things, and we're faithful in what he's called us to do, and we're pointing others to our eternal hope, that's like right now, that's what we should be doing. People are tripping out on what, what is today. Like, okay, we have an eternal hope. We have a solid rock that can't be moved. That's what we need to be doing. This is, what, this is what Anna was doing. You won't miss the Messiah if you're rolling like this. And let's close before Noel kills me. Uh, let's close this morning going back to our text in John chapter 6. Because it's one of my favorite examples of someone not missing the Messiah. And it's our brother Peter, right? It's our brother Peter. Now, mind you, it's not Pentecost, Pete. It's not filled with the Holy Spirit, Pete, and preaching to 3,000 3, people get saved. It's like Peter, like before he cut someone's ear off, Peter, right? So it's a little bit earlier, so he's still going to fall in upcoming accounts. But remember, after many of the disciples walked away from Jesus because they felt like his teaching was too harsh, that the cost of following Jesus was too much, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples who remain, because the 12 did remain, and he says, hey, You do not want to go away also, do you? Verse 67, Simon Peter answered him. This is so cool. Simon tells Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did Peter miss it? Peter miss it? No, he didn't. He got it. Do you think it was because Peter was so intelligent and so aware and he was so learned that he didn't miss Jesus? No way, man. I don't believe so. Peter was just a simple country boy, you know, living out there in the Galilee, making a living as a fisherman. I don't think he was like this scholarly guy. But Jesus does give us a hint as to how Peter didn't miss the Messiah in Matthew chapter 16. Because Peter makes this type of declaration again. And it'll be on your screen here. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do you say, or who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to, him, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven. Peter got it right, but it wasn't because of anything in himself. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to him. Jesus said that God revealed this to Jesus. And I think we could say that Peter didn't miss the Messiah because God revealed the Messiah to Peter. Ultimately, it is God who causes us to get it right. We don't miss the Messiah because God intervened. To see Jesus clearly, to behold him and not miss him, it requires God to intervene. We may think we have an accurate view of Jesus here this morning, but I want to challenge you guys to come to him and and allow him to clarify the way that you see him. You know, that's what these carpets are here. You guys can spend some time when Kevin and the guys come up and 
Just ask God, like, God, clarify the way that I see you. I believe you as Lord. I believe you as Savior. But man, clarify how I view you. Because guys, when we see Jesus clearly, when we don't miss the Messiah, there's transformation that takes place. The deeds that those people wanted, Jesus, like, what could we do? That flows out of you when you know who Jesus is. When you experience his love, that flows out of you. Jesus says in our text that we receive life when we see him rightly. And our value of him changes all together. And I think a good litmus test of how we see Jesus is, is explained when Jesus explains the kingdom in Matthew 13. It'll be on your screen. Jesus is saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Man, is that how I see Jesus? Is that how you see Jesus this morning? Do you see him as your supreme treasure, as your pearl of greatest price? You might be able to fool the people around you, but man, you're never going to fool God. He knows what's like in the way. He tells me that all the time. He's like, don't try to play games with me, Paulo. And the beautiful thing is all we have to do is ask him to intervene. When he intervenes, we will see him as our pearl of greatest price. We will see him that he is on the throne, that he is the sovereign, that in spite of all the things that we see, he is still in control and he still loves you. You will see that he's our solid rock. And we need that so desperately right now. We need something that is unshakable, that will not move. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. Are we allowing God to really form our view of who He is? Or are we putting Him in a box? Or are we making God in our image? God always had so much grace to the humble. We saw it in the people that didn't miss. It's not like because they understood it all. It wasn't because they were so amazing. They were just humble. And I encourage us to humble ourselves now as we eagerly await his rule. Let's be those people. Lord, we thank you that you do give grace to the humble. We thank you, Lord, that you are always standing at the door to knock and you want to reveal yourself as for who you are, as Savior, as Messiah, as King, as Ruler. And we also thank you that you're a jealous God. You're not going to tolerate with the silly things that I put in front of you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray that you would minister to your people this morning. Because we really do want to be bright lights in a dark season right now for people. We know that you can use tragedy to call people to yourself. We want to be part of that. We don't want to sit at the skybox and just kind of be unengaged. We want to be part of that, Lord. So give us that same kind of revelation that you gave these saints of old. We want to have that revelation to see you for who you are so we could share the hope that we have in you, the people who are desperate for it right now. We pray this in Jesus' name.